Good morning. Bless the Lord. It's a blessing to be with you. Thank you, Brother John, for being understanding when we were sick a few weeks ago. I don't like to do that. Um, I think it was Friday evening, maybe, something like that. And, uh, you know, sickness is just temporary. You, you keep thinking, well, we'll be better till Sunday, but it's good we cancel it. All right, well, I'm going to, first of all, um, bless you all. The last time that I was with you, maybe a year and a half ago, um, not quite sure when I was here, you didn't have a shepherd. One deacon you had the time that I was with you. And he was serving as a deacon or a moderator, deacon slash moderator, whatever that was. But since then, now you have two shepherds and one deacon. And I remember telling the brothers that Sunday that you guys got to get your act together and you have to have a leader here again. And I'm very glad that a year and a half later you have two elders, and a deacon. And it's obviously scriptural that there's elders ordained in every city. And it's it's good um, to be shepherded because we're all like sheep wandering and we can all go astray. The other thing I'd like to mention is I'm very blessed with is to be able to be here to worship. I love to gather Sunday mornings and to sing songs of praises and to be exhorted. On the May 17th of 2019, I went through a hay tether and in case you heard any parts of it or, or incorrect information, um, I'll tell you a little bit what happened. I was, my son and I were greasing the tether and uh, the tractor PTO was engaged when he started the tether and I wasn't far enough away yet so it wrapped me around the tether um, and I, I was stuck in the tether. It didn't discharge me like it was supposed to or like it does the hay. I guess I was too long of a piece of hay and it, I just kept tangled up in the tether. Until um, I was busted up pretty bad. I had seven broken ribs on on both sides of my chest. I had a gash in my liver, a hole in my lung. And my tendons and ligaments in both legs were torn. My joint was out of socket and my left leg and broken in three places. And then lacerations all over my body. I was just bleeding um, outside and inside. But I um, I went through all of that and I can say it was a good experience for me. I went from being healthy and strong, able to make decisions, make 
um, give work for my family, um, and to being totally dependent again, like a little baby. I, I woke up in the hospital, and I couldn't even give myself a glass of water. That's how helpless I was in, in the intensive care unit. And it was a good experience for me. Life is um, short, and you know we don't have we don't have um, complete control of of every situation in our life. And the better that we surrender ourselves unto the lordship of Christ and to each other, the better off we are. Okay. Life, or I should say maybe um, Christian fellowship, is one of the sweetest desserts that we can enjoy. Christian fellowship is, or should be, one of the sweetest desserts that we can enjoy. There's nothing quite like being with people who you love. Warts and all. Just being with people whom you love. There's a great peace that comes when we share a life together with a group of people who are there to weep with us, to rejoice with us, and to pray with us. And that should be one of life's sweetest desserts. It's in uh, times of discouragement that we can rest um, and we can comfort one another. With encouragement, um, we as a family, we just buried our mother-in-law after caring for her night and day for, hmm, let's see, um, I guess May we took her in the hospital. My wife brought me out of the hospital and five days later took her mother in. I ended up in the same floor with the same nurses and and she was fighting stage 4 cancer since May, probably caring for her night and day since beginning of October at least. And um, it's been a blessing since the funeral two weeks ago, the bouquets, and the flowers, flower bouquets, the cards or phone calls, it's just amazing. And I think of people who are out there in the world and no one ever has prayed a prayer for them. Can you imagine that? No one has ever prayed a prayer for you. And there's people out there like that. So, it's in times of discouragement that we can rest and comfort one another, and pray for one another. We can help each other bear each other's burdens. And be there in times of weakness for each other. To lift each other up. That's really good news. That is really good news. Because none of us are infallible. None of us. None of you sitting here today is going to go all the way through life without at some point in your life possibly becoming very discouraged or needing help, or being physically handicapped in some way. 
But there's also a not so good news. The glory of Christian fellowship makes its failures all the more painful. And it always hurts when somebody is not kind to you. And if that person happens to be someone you love, then it hurts more, right? I mean, my wife is my best friend and nobody can hurt me quite as much as my wife because she's so close to me. And so if she is not happy, and then I'm not happy. Or if she says something that hurts, then it hurts more than what any of you would say. So the pain is magnified and what I mean by that is when you have good Christian fellowship and then something happens, that pain is just magnified. And we all know that, we all know by experience that there is conflict and conflict is inevitable. It means, I mean, there's going to be conflict. Let's don't get hypothetical and think that there will be no conflict because we can't avoid conflict. We can see it in the early church. But that doesn't mean we're going to live as hermits so nobody hurts us. Because, like I said, the Christian experience of fellowship is one of life's sweetest desserts. And if you're going to miss out on that, you're going to miss out on one of the greatest joys that you can experience. And, get this, you are obeying clear biblical commands to gather yourselves together. I'm fairly young, um, and I'm even, even a lot younger as an elder, but I've seen enough that I know conflict happens, and uh, it stems from one member offending another member, or hurting another member, or sinning against another member. Sometimes it's unintentional. You know, it wasn't meant to hurt. It's totally unintentional. And sometimes it's not. And I'm, well, I'm here to tell you this morning, I, I'm sorry if it has happened. Or if it happened. Um, but I'm also a realist. And I'm going to tell you it happens. But God gave us as Christians. Very clear guidance on conflict. Jesus himself addressed it very clearly. Which we will look at. He gave us very clear and very concise instructions and directions on how to deal with conflict. And it's crucial that we learn that Jesus' way is the best way. So turn with me to Luke chapter 17. This is not our text. But I'd like to just point something out here in Luke chapter 17 before we get into our text. 
I just read this, and sure I read it before, but this time I thought, wow, that is very straightforward, it's very clear. He starts off here in 17 about teaching on forgiveness. And he says that um, it's impossible that offenses will come. And he says, Woe unto him through whom they come. It would be better that we would take a big millstone, which in their day was something that they all knew, took a strong man to push that big stone hung around his neck, drowned in the deepest part of the sea, then to offend one of these little ones. And then in verse 4, Jesus says, I'm sorry, verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Now that's very straightforward, isn't it? How many of you like confrontation? The rebuke is always very confrontational. But Jesus is saying, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Done deal. It's over. Don't you think that would work? Somebody's sinned? Oh. Somebody said something they shouldn't have said? Rebuke him. I remember back in 2002... Uh, we were having Bible study with a Catholic, an ex-Catholic couple that was attending Charity Christian Fellowship. And uh, in the in the Bible study, um, I'm not sure what came up, but he was telling us, his name is Jay Johnson, he grew up in Texas, and um, he was telling us of how a few brothers that day, that morning at Charity, had to rebuke a man because... He used the word N-I-G-G-E-R for describing a black man. And they just told him right there, you know what? You do not use that word. And I was like, oh. Growing up where I was, I still heard that a little bit when I was a small boy. But I learned something that day. Okay. Apparently that word's not acceptable. Alright, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, which will be our text. Matthew chapter 18. Let's um, break in here at verse 15 and read to verse 20. Jesus speaking. In my Bible, everything is in red, so these are the words of Jesus himself. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his faults between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take thee... One or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, 
that if two or three shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Can we all rise and uh, pray before we go on? Lord, we thank you this morning that we have the written word and it is as a road map, Lord. Let it be, Father, that it is truly a light unto our path, that it gives us direction. As we read the word this morning, as we study your word, we pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to take it serious. Help us to understand the the depths of the most wise and loving and gracious counselor that there ever was, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, I, for whatever it's worth, I would say this is more of a, a teaching. And I'd like to just take a real close look at what Jesus says and does not say here in Matthew chapter 18. This passage in Matthew chapter 18 might be among some of the most ignored passages in some churches. It might be in some of the most ignored and disregarded and disobeyed passages. It's in the context of brothers. It's in the context of, of a church. So, in this chapter, verses 1 to 5, Jesus called his disciples, um, or he was talking to his disciples. And I guess children came to him. Or he explained greatness at least by calling a little child and setting it in the midst of them. So he said, unless you're converted and become as little children, you won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. So humility, let's agree first off that humility is very, very important. Especially if we um, want to look at how to deal with conflict. Jesus warned, just like we saw in Luke, that we should not put stumbling blocks in the way of those who believe. We should not put stumbling blocks in the way of other believers. Jesus says that the Father in heaven is like a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. And if one is lost, he's going to leave the 99. He's going to go look for the one that is lost. What a shepherd we have. He's going to leave the 99. You're safe. He's going to go look for the one that is lost. So notice the common theme that's running through these passages. To think of each other um, and think about each other in humility. And to welcome into the kingdom those who are lowly and be like the shepherd who seeks the one. 
Even the one who is lost, be like the shepherd. Alright, so verse 15. Who committed the sin? In verse 15. I should maybe add this in the beginning. Um, in case that some of you are already a little bit scared. Not everything should be a full-blown Matthew 18 situation. I don't think you should bring every petty little thing into a Matthew 18 situation. It's talking about an offense. Um, He says here, if your brother trespass against thee. So who committed the sin? Here in Matthew 18 chapter. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says thy brother so we can see clearly from this teaching that the brother trespassed um, obviously it did something that caused an offense and um, hopefully you understand it's not um, by the way that he combed his hair or that um, un- unless you were spiking your hair and trying to get a, a real attention or something like that. But it's talking about a trespass. It's talking about an offense. A sin. And number two, that w- what we want to look at is who did he sin against? Obviously, from our text here, he sinned against you. Um, you might ask, well, how do I know if somebody sinned against me? Isn't sin always against God? All sin is always against God. Every Sin simply means to miss the mark. And every time we miss the mark and we sin, we always sin against God. For example... Um, the Ten Commandments. If if I don't honor my father and mother, I am sinning against God and against them. If I don't honor my father or my mother, I am sinning against God and against them. The Ten Commandments also says that thou shalt not steal. I had... Um, I had, um, back when we were with the Amish people, I had a horse that was in the reins real good. And I, I had a training cart. And we were young married people. And I was driving um, on the shoulder of Route 23. And I had my leg up as I was holding my horse. And don't you think, my checkbook fell out on 23. And I got home. I just went to the hardware store, came home. Whoa, or at the hardware store, I guess. I'm not sure when I noticed it, but I'm missing my checkbook. And I'm thinking like, uh-oh, I want my checkbook. And I went, looked for it, couldn't find it. So I went to the bank, and this is only maybe an hour and a half later or so. And they said, uh-oh, there's already a check cashed. Somebody had forged a che- found my checkbook, Forged a check, 
were $475. In memo, they put down Rhoda Tiller. They went through my stubs and looked who I write checks to, which one of them was my father-in-law, David Blank. And so they wrote a check out to David Blank, forged my signature, $475, took it to the drive-thru. They had everything on camera, cashed it, and $475 was gone out of my account. Now, $475 was a very big deal back then. This is 20 years ago, and we're just married, and I'm farming, and I'm like, I'm not making much money. I'm working for my mom. And I was a little distressed about $475. They stole from me, right? They sinned against God, but they sinned against me too. So, in some areas, it's fairly easy to determine if someone has sinned against us. Stealing, lying, even coveting is a sin. But in some cases, they aren't so clear. What about if you feel offended by what someone has said? Even though that person never intended to to offend you. What about that? You feel offended by what somebody said, even though that person never meant to offend you at all. What about that? What if you hear through the grapevine that somebody has been gossiping against you? There is not an easy answer to these questions. But let me offer this this morning, that long-suffering love should play in this picture. I don't think Jesus envisioned every petty little thing to be made a full confrontational Matthew 18 thing. And so when our brother or our sister, sister's behavior is clearly sinful, you are obligated by Jesus to act upon his advice. When your brother or your sister has clearly sinned against you, you are obligated by Jesus Christ to act upon his advice. When you've been hurt by someone's behavior that is not sinful, then your obligation is quite different. And it it still may mean a face-to-face talk, you know, with that person. But it will take on a little different tone than Matthew 18. I have seen in my life, um, I've, I'm old enough now to see and witness brothers and sisters who have been hurt. You know, they thought it it too risky or too scary to do the confrontational thing. And I'm here to tell you this morning that biblical confrontation is okay. And learn to be okay with biblical confrontation. It's in the Bible. And it's only for your good. If you do not confront people when they are offending you, you are soon going to be 
stewing on bitterness and uh, harboring things against people that is not good. Some people think it's too awkward or it's too risky and so they choose to ignore the offense. But you know what? The hurt is real. And so what ends up is we, we build a wall. We have resentment. We build a wall of protection. So there's not more. And we have a broken relationship that affects us and affects them. And guess what? It can affect a whole church. It can affect a whole church. Now, if you're a person who tends to overreact to wrongdoing, you may want to make sure that you don't abuse Matthew 18. If you tend to overreact to wrongdoing, if you're one of those people who just, just blasts it out for what it is, be very careful that you don't abuse Matthew 18 by confronting those who haven't intentionally done anything to even wrong you. But if you're one who avoids conflict at all costs, watch out for your own denial and the rationalization and the health of the church and ultimately even your own well-being. This is where deadly and poisonous gossip can start. Deadly and poisonous gossip. I was so blessed um, recently. I had um, just thought of this when I was studying. One of my daughters, I have... Five, so I'll just say one of them so they don't feel betrayed here today. One of my daughters heard through the grapevine about another young girl and what they're saying about her. And she was like, I can't believe this. Why is this young girl talking like this to other people about me? She never said anything. And I simply told her, I said, take that young girl aside, take her out for coffee, and just talk about it. And you know what? It worked. She came home, and she said, you wouldn't believe what a sweet meeting we had. Cleared it up. Um... I'm not sure if they shed tears together. I don't remember all the details, but it was very, very precious. So I'm here to say that it does work. If a brother or a sister offends you or sins against you, notice what Jesus said. Go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And that's key this morning. We want to Make sure that we don't miss this first step. The first action verb is go. Right? We know what it means to go. Go to that person. Two people. It's going to be you and it's going to be him. Or you and her. Two people. In that first initial meeting. No one else. 
You don't need, you shouldn't even be talking about it to anyone else. And I tell my church as a pastor, do, do not call me. Do not call me. If you have a problem with someone else, do not call me. If you're not willing to go to that person and say, you know what? That offended me. Or why do you act in such a way? Or why do you do this? Do not call your elders. Jesus said, if this happens, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And that's what my daughter experienced. It was a done deal. The relationship is sweet today. It was over. There was apology made and things were cleared up and it was a done deal. So that's the first step. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Private. Only two people. If we're not careful, um, we'll get gossip. We'll get supporters before Jesus allows that. Anything other than what Jesus said um, will bring other results. So, the purpose. I got ahead of myself there. So the purpose is, the reason for going, or the purpose for going is to see if that brother or sister will hear. See if we can clear this thing up at early on. Um, and I'd like to encourage you, when you are the one to go, be specific. Don't him-haw around, and, but just be very kind and very specific about it. I've had people come to me who, you know, they're him-hawing around and they're talking and I'm thinking like, come on, just, just out with it. <laughs> just tell me what I did wrong. I'm I'm willing to hear you. <clears throat> if you're if you're going to take something and confront something, be specific and try to communicate it very kindly and very graciously and with mercy in your heart, even gently. <clears throat> So the goal, the whole goal is reconciliation. You're going to go before there gives any more mess, before there's any more sin, and see if this can be reconciled. And if, if, um, it works, then Jesus said you have gained your brother. It's not about getting even, okay? We're not going to go because we want to get even with this. I mean, that hurt me and then you're going to go and throw a few jabs at him. It's not about getting even. It's about reconciling. It's not even about putting the offender in his or her place. You know, you, sh- you should have known better than that. It's, you're supposed to go because you took offense and um, you want to, you want to try to reconcile the brother. Kind of like, the brother who used the word um, that shouldn't have been said, 
it's about helping that brother. You know, there's words that we shall not, that are not appropriate. It's wrong to be racist like that. It's about rebuilding a relationship that could have been broken. And the goal can be hard to keep in mind when you have been hurt. And I want you to to consider that. It can be very difficult if you are going to go um, kind of stroking your own hurt. Your flesh always wants to pound the flesh and maybe you might want to make the other person look bad. But please don't go if you're going to go in that way. If we confront someone with those motives, we will be unable to do what Jesus asks us to do. Alright, so what about the next steps? We talked about level one. Private meeting, two people. The next step um, says, if he, Jesus said, if you will not, if he will not hear you, very realistic person, I, that's what I like about Jesus. You know, he didn't give this one point, this is always going to happen. Very realistic. He gives the next option, next step. If he will not hear you, no matter how kindly and how um, gracious you were, how gentle you were, they may not listen to you. They may not listen to you. I have a friend down in Maryland who was unfaithful to his wife. And a brother went to him and said, Brother, why did you do this? And he could not get himself to own it. This was in a Baptist church. And um, they actually used this there. And he... So they, he took another brother and he could not get himself to own his sin. Until they took him to the church and, and um, so the husband and wife um, weren't living together anymore. And he told me, he said, Amos, you wouldn't believe it, but I cried every single day. But I could not get myself to own my sin. Until his wife remarried and then he took it to the church and said, I am sorry, this is what I did. And I said, but what about your wife now? Well, he said, they had three children. He said, now, when my children have a birthday, I'm there as a guest. I am always invited for their birthday, but Sunday morning they sit in the pew in front of me. I sit in the back. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it have been a blessing if she would have been willing to wait more than three years? I just share that to say, you know, sometimes a brother is not willing to actually receive it. And in that case, Jesus said we should take another person or two with us. Even though we are saved, even though we have the Holy Spirit, sometimes we fail to do the right thing when we are confronted. And then Jesus said, take with you one or two more. And I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We just want to look at 
Jesus quotes this passage here in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now here it's talking about people who started worshipping other gods, whether it was the sun or the moon or the host of heaven. Um, They'd have wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And in verse 6, it says, At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. And then the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterwards the hands of the people so shalt thou put away evil from among you. And he goes on and talking about some matters that are too hard to judge um, and, and how they shall remedy those matters by taking them to the priests. So, did you see this here? The Bible says that at the mouth of one witness, no man shall be put to death. But I saw him do that. But there's only one witness. And we will not throw stones until we have at least two, or preferably three witnesses, that this person did this. At the mouth of two or three witnesses. Turn over a page um, to Matthew. Oh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. This is a little different. I mean, the first one was they were worshipping the sun and moon. They were doing wicked things in the sight of God. Um, here, it's talking about a man who hates his neighbor. Um, first, the, well, the first one is, is every bit as wicked, I guess. Because it's um, it's um, killing someone. It's a murder case in verse 11. And um, the hand of the avenger of the blood, he may die. So again, he's, it's clear that that person's sentence is death. But then in verse 13, we have... Or, sorry, verse 14, we have someone who removes a neighbor's landmark. And he pulls a stake up, moves it to his benefit a couple feet. Right? Not, we won't look at that as a big of a deal as murder. But it's a dress. And it's going to talk about that um, here in the, concerning the law and witnesses. So verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, and they're going to be judged. And so it appears that God wants to remedy even false witnesses because they're a big problem. And I would say 
it would have been scary to falsely accuse someone of something because here, once you were accused and you're saying you're falsely accusing me, then they're supposed to both go to the priests and the judges. And if the priests and the judges hear the matter out and and conclude that you are bearing false witnesses, now guess what? The punishment has been set on its head and you are now the one who's going to get the punishment. What I wanted is um, those two texts of at the mouth of two or three witnesses, both times. Everything should be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So let's go back to Matthew 18. Jesus is saying that If, if you're not heard, take one or two more so that at the mouth of two or three witnesses. So that could be taken in a number of ways. What, exactly what the point is of those two other witnesses, I'm not quite sure. Whether it is so that you do the things kindly and graciously, or whether it is so that the the person who has caused the offend, offense gives an account and that there is another witness there that he is not hearing. I would say it might be as much the first one so that if I have to go to the second step and take two other people along, they are there as witnesses to say that I am presenting this in a very Christ-like spirit. I am doing this with mercy and in light of restoration. Not two other guys, you know, to buddy up with me and now I have three guys on my side and we are going to show this. That will not work. We have to remember that the reason we're going is try to reconcile something. So if our first effort didn't work, we're not done. Even though it would be tempted to just say, you know, let's just call it off. Jesus said, it's not over. He doesn't give us this option. We need to make one more go at it. Step three that we see. So the second encounter proved to be fruitless. We're still not done. We may be a little tired by now or maybe even a little discouraged. But Jesus wants you, us, to press on in still in hope of reconciliation. And so we see Jesus in some way or form. We see Jesus wanting the church to get involved in, in some in some way or another. Because he says, if he shall neglect to hear them, that is now the, the witnesses going along, tell it unto the church. And here's where I would say that the whole church should pray, 
and should earnestly um, contend for reconciliation. This is still, you want to be redemptive. This is still not the, that, you know, we're going to deal with this situation now. It's so that the church now can, can help someone because what we have at stake is very serious. I mean, you just think about the nation of Israel and a man who worshipped other gods or who was caught in a sin. There's going to be a stoning soon. And who's going to throw the stones? The guy who witnessed the offense. And so if you go with that in mind, like there, this is a heaven and a hell issue. This is not about... Um, this is not about some little, petty little thing. This is a big deal. And so the church gets involved and the church prays and hopefully now with more people involved there can be some some reconciliation. Jesus um, goes on, he says, if the offender refuses to listen to the church now it becomes a discipline issue. And there are times when church discipline is necessary for the health of the individuals involved as well as the health of the whole church. Now I know, you know, probably most of you would say like, well, that's not a good thing. Church discipline. That's that's a bad thing. We don't ever want to do that. Well, you know what? It was in the early church a good thing. It was in the in the nation of Israel God told him over and over again, put away from among you that wicked person. Because you who meet here in Schaeferstown Fire Hall need to be representing a God that is holy. And you can't represent a God that is holy when you allow sin in the camp. And somebody can just be acting like he wants to and doing what he wants to uh, and sinning against God and against people and still be a part of you. So, for the health of the church, if the sinner refuses to listen to the church, Jesus said, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. So, who are Gentiles and tax collectors? The tax collectors by birth were Jews. Okay, so they were Jewish people. But they, they aligned themselves with the Romans for personal gain. And so they went about and they collected tax and they made the tax bill more and they aligned themselves with the Romans for personal gain. And they were despised people. <laughs> that's kind of hard to imagine. You know, somebody who was among us, let him be as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Their tax collectors were almost worse than the Gentiles. They were hated by their Jews. Some of you may be thinking like, but Brother Amos, where's the love? Well, where's the love? Or, where's forgiveness? Or where's acceptance? 
True love does not tolerate unconfessed sin. You cannot cheat on your wife and go on like that and expect to be an upbuilding member in Christ's body. Women cannot go around disrespecting their husbands and speaking bad about their husbands and stay in a good standing in Christ's church. Let me give you an example. When people say, well, where's the love? Where's, where's, um, where's grace? We have friends in Iowa who, who did not grow up plain at all. And, um, they live in Fremont, and in Fremont, Iowa, there's, uh, there's a Presbyterian church, and there's a Baptist church, and, and, uh, there's a Lutheran church, and, but they have to travel hours and hours if they want to go to a church that takes the Bible and says, we don't want to live by the Bible. So, one day, you know, they, they're reading in the Bible and their mom says, you know what, girls? I think we're going to have to get rid of a lot of our clothes. Because I don't see, from what I see in the Bible, I don't see that we can keep on wearing our jeans and this and that. And so they, step by step, they take obedience. So they're, they're fellowshipping in this church because they, they need fellowship. And they had a situation in the church where a young girl became pregnant. And 18 year old girl and, and, you know, the church was working with this girl and the church says, oh boy, what do we do now? And they, some of the people were talking, they said, well, you know what? Let's show her love and let's um, make a baby shower for her. And this was too much for our friend. He said, like, hello, there's sin in the camp. And you're going to act like everything's just fine. Never, never even address it, never even talk about it. But you know, let's just, let's just give her a lot of love and acceptance and you deal with sin. We need to have love and acceptance. Amen for that. But you know what? You don't look at the, you don't just look the other way when there's sin in the camp. On September 29th, 2012, a dear brother, Levi Raber, who was a part of a Living Hope Christian Fellowship, was exiting off the turnpike on the ramp rode his minivan and got life flighted to the hospital and died in the hospital. And you know what was sad? We had been together, the church in Ohio and Living Hope, his former church, and Living Hope had been fasting and praying that day that God would have mercy on him. He had a problem with alcohol and we had been working with him he had 
his wife was saying some things about, you know, we need some help and, and he was excommunicated and the brothers in Ohio called and said, you know, that's all your day of fasting and prayer. The whole church in Ohio and at Living Hope was together fasting and praying when he got in his minivan to go to Ohio. And I'm not God, okay? I'm not um, going to even pretend to know what all happened. But God moved in whatever way it was. And for some reason, God decided that this is it. This is the end of Levi Raber's life. September 29th, 2012, as he was driving off the turnpike, just hours after we had dismissed our prayer meeting. So in conclusion, I'd like to suggest that we take Jesus very serious. Sin is not a, a little blemish that we can just cover up or just ignore. Sin is like a deadly cancer. And it will destroy you. If you let it go, it's going to be like a stage 4 cancer. And it will destroy you. The problem is, it can affect others. And like we said earlier, it can affect the whole church. So brothers, let me tell you kindly and and sisters, if you see a fault or a sin in your brother or your sister's life, humbly, humbly follow Christ's example. And go to that brother and go to that sister, two people, one-on-one, and see if you can't reconcile. God bless you all.